It was May the 19th, 1984. It was a beautiful day. Stephanie and I had an outdoor wedding in her hometown of Geneva. We had um, lots of even folks from here that were part of that. Tim Lee was one of my groomsmen. Bill Page and a lot of the elders were there. Robin Bird Bradford was hid in our truck trunk and almost made it to our honeymoon. But um, it was quite a day, and it was beautiful. We had a guy named Joe Beck who actually went to Faulkner, now pretty big in the music world, and uh, he sang at our wedding. And I wore a white tux that was actually popular in that day. Uh, there's a reason that didn't last many years, okay? White tux, I was tanned, had a dark black mustache, but I didn't compare to Stephanie. I always remember the moment when she walked, turned the corner with her dad, hadn't seen her all day, and walked down the aisle, how beautiful she was as a bride. And that was a great day. And yet all of us know that the ceremony is the easy part, right? It, it, it's the marriage that's the challenging part. And like most couples, we had our challenges. Never forget going to a marriage conference once, and they gave everybody a personality test. Many of you are familiar with the, the DISC test. And the presenter of the conference came over to our table sort of privately afterwards and said, my goodness, your yours match up this way. And only about 20% of marriages that match up this way make it. And that wasn't really an encouraging word. And so, um, you know, we begin to have our challenges and try to work through them. I always forget that living in Pensacola, walking on the beach and going, hey, we are committed to this for life because we were both a little bit nervous. You know, there were a couple things I wish people had told us before we got married. Number one, this is really hard work, okay? We did finally start going to counseling early on in our marriage, and the counselor said to us, most marriages don't really get good until about eight years. <laughs> when you've just been married a couple years, that's not exactly the best news you've heard. And then you know, we know it's hard work because if this morning we had a couple here that was celebrating their 50th anniversary and I asked them to stand, we would not just applaud, we would give them a standing ovation because we know that's a big deal. So I wish someone had said, this is really hard work. But what I also wish someone had said, it is really, really, really worth it. If you stick in there and you do the hard work and you get over those obstacles and those failures, that you're going to have something very special. And Stephanie and I have been blessed, have a great relationship. We communicate really openly. We love and respect each other. Blessed with great kids, even more amazing grandchildren. And so you look back and you know it's worth it. And today we're looking at this picture in Ephesians of the church being the bride of Christ. And the challenge we have is to love this bride. Just like you may have had a challenge after the newness worn off to love your groom. God knows that we have a challenge often to love the bride, which is the church. Now let's just be really honest as we start here. Less and less people actually love the church. There's been a bunch of books coming out over the last couple of decades. Here's some of the titles. So you don't want to go to church anymore? One that actually encouraged you called quitting church. Another said life after church. And then one summed up so many attitudes. They like, church, they like Jesus, but not the church. So I hear so many people, even they said, man, I really love Jesus. But that church thing really, really bugs me. Of course, Jesus is perfect. We're 
made up of imperfect people. So that's easy to love Jesus. What happens in marriage is just what happens in church. At first you have this rose-tinted glass view of everything being perfect, and then you get involved in it, and you find out that other people aren't perfect, and neither are you, and sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Most of us have some point been hurt by church. That's a common, common thing I hear. We live in a generation that's really anti-institution. You see many of the major institutions in our country right now being attacked and torn down. Let's be honest, we live in a culture where it's just cool to complain in every area of our life, and church is no exemption. And it's difficult to love people, and that's our challenge. And God's, most of us are so busy now, where in generations ago, the church was the center of your social and entertainment life. Now the church is, quite frankly, the easiest thing to cut out of your schedule to find more time. And then with COVID, my goodness, the new normal has become almost don't going back to church. That's why it's so wonderful to look out and see so many of you here today. So I think it's, it's appropriate for us to actually step back a moment and go, why church? We're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians talks more about the church than any other book in the New Testament. And as we dive into it, we're going to look at these pictures over the next five weeks of what the church is. And this morning, obviously, we start with the picture of the church being made up of a bride, the church, and the groom, Jesus. It's a marriage. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, you've heard this passage. I've preached this passage a lot of times, but it's always to do with marriage. Where Paul's even going to admit the foundational truth of this passage is Jesus and the church, not, not marriage. It's just the example of what a marriage should look like of all things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Look at every time church appears. His body of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. You don't get off easy. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, verse I've never paid much attention to. In fact, I've always thought was rather awkward in the, tra- in the passage is verse 32. This is the profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul, a bachelor, is saying, you know what? I may not understand everything about marriage. I've never been married. But I'm telling you what, I understand the correct picture of marriage. And that is Jesus and his bride. 
One translation has Paul saying, what is clearest to me is the way Christ loves the church. So listen to this. The best way to find out what a healthy marriage looks like is to look at Jesus and his church. Is that true today? I mean, could we say to people today, okay, you know what, I know you're about to get married, and I know you need a role model, and there's not a lot of great role models out there, but you go look at Landmark, and you'll find out what it looks like. So today, I want to talk about learning to love the bride. I think that's what Paul is talking about. And there's some things that we just need to remember and be reminded of, because so many people today have such a low view and expectation of church. Why should we love the bride of Christ? Remember, Jesus chose us. That's number one. He chose the church. The church was his idea. He started it, and he chose it. In the book of Ephesians, the word chose is used a lot. We go back to chapter one, the foundational passage in this book, and we see the word chose and predestined. Many of us argue about those words and what they mean. But here's what I want you to understand as you read this passage and Ephesians chapter 1. He's not talking about individuals. He doesn't say, you were chosen and you were not chosen. He says, we were chosen. He didn't say, you were predestined and I wasn't. We were predestined. And when he talks about the church here, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about us together as a group. And here's the challenge. If Christ, who is perfect, can love this flawed, imperfect bride why can't we? I mean, it's obvious this book is being written to a church that's got some problems. That's why he talks about it so much. So if, if Jesus, who is perfect, can look over at us and go, hey, guys, I, I love you unconditionally, it ought to be easier for me because I know my own imperfections to look at all of us together and go, you know what? I can put up with some imperfections because I'm part of the problem." So Jesus chose us. In fact, it's very interesting what the word for church is here. It was not a religious word in the first century. You know the Greek word possibly? It was ekklesia. What is ekklesia? It's a called out assembly. In secular terms, it's just the convening of an assembly for important business. When the state legislature meets downtown and they convene, to talk about the business of our state, in the first century, you would say they had a church. And so what it says to us is, we have been called out of this world to convene and assemble about the business of Jesus. So us gatherings are a pretty big deal. It's part of the definition. But what's interesting to me is when people get down on church, the first thing they cut is the assembly. Because we almost believe today that's not so important. I understand that. Because there was a day we made too big a deal about it. In my generation, we we talked about this assembly all the time. And our biggest challenge was to get this assembly right. And it's almost like this, if I get the assembly right and I do all these things right and got the five acts of worship down pat and every, then, you know what I mean, that's what really counts. And so we had to come along and I had as a preacher to come along and say, the church is not just this gathering, we are the church, we got to get out of here and go 
what? Be the church. And that was a great message. Because we'd made this the end all be all. And so I could come to church and get all the, the acts down pat. And I could walk out there, you know, and treat people bad. And be a racist, you know. And lie and cheat. And I was still a faithful church member. But here's what I believe, guys. I think for this new generation, we got to go back and say, yes, we need to go be the church, but it's also even part of the definition of church is that we gather. And that what this ought to be is this is a point for us to gather and be so in love with Jesus and so motivated by each other that then we go out and be the church, but you honestly, biblically, can't have one without the other. So here's what I want to stop and think about just for a moment with me. What a privilege this is that Jesus would want to be married to us. Can you imagine? I did a wedding ceremony just a couple years ago for Savannah Camp, um, daughter of Billy and Beth Camp. And you can't imagine this, but Billy was feeding me all the stuff I had to say. Back to our wedding, James Watkins was the preacher. I'd given him all these things I wanted him to say. And so right before the wedding, he walked up to me and said, I'm sorry, buddy, I just can't do this. i got to do my own thing. So Stephanie's through the whole wedding going, what is this? This is not what we've planned. I tried to be better. And I loved what Billy had told me. These were some old words. I'm sure his grandfather was a preacher, had used in wedding ceremonies. Listen to what he says to the, the groom. Your bride has paid you the highest compliment within her power to pay. She has left her father, her mother, her home, and given up her very name for you, the man she loves. Wow. And then here's what was said to the the bride. May you be true to your marriage vows and to this man. He's paid you the highest compliment within his power to pay to make you the queen of his home and of his heart. You see, guys, this is a privilege to be a part of God's church, his bride. We need to remember that. Number two, Jesus teaches us. He teaches us how. But what Paul is doing here, he's saying, okay, guys, you want to know how to behave in your marriage? Watch Jesus behave with the church. And the most important word found in this passage is the word love. And you know the Greeks that have much richer language than us, they had different words for love. They had one that was friendship love, one that was more actually sexual, they had one that was more emotional. But the one that Paul uses and Scripture uses more than anything is agape, which was the highest form of love. And it was actually unconditional love. It was a love that says, no matter how you're treating me, no matter what's going on, I am going to seek the best for you. And that's one thing I love to say when I'm standing up here performing a wedding ceremony. Is that the good news of Scripture is that you can love each other even on the days you don't like each other. Anybody ever done that? Raise your hands. Put it down real quickly before they see, okay? We've all done that, right? And that's why marriages can make it because the commitment is not just for the days I feel like it. That's why churches can make it. Because it's not just like when I feel like loving you guys, you might have offended me. I don't have a choice. So remember that love is a verb. It's an action. And what Paul gives us here is a list of things that Jesus does for his bride that we should do for each other. Look at this list of actions. He loves the church. 
He gives himself up for her. He makes her better. He washes her with the word. He feeds and cares for her. What a great list. Let me comment on a few of those. He gives himself up for her. He gave his life for her. Talk about commitment. Guys, any relationship that's good, you've got to give up yourself. He makes her better. Don't you love that? The Bible says we're to be iron that sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. My friend Al Crosby says, let's rub each other the right way. That's what's supposed to happen in marriage. That's what's supposed to happen in the church is we bring out the best in each other. We believe the best in each other. And we help bring it out. And then I think this one's really significant for us. He washes her with the word. Just how water removes the dirt from the flesh, God's word removes the sin from the spirit. And so I love this picture, just constantly washed in the word. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's why we talk so much about landmark, of the paramount importance of you and I being in the word. Personally, I've never been more committed that Scripture is the final authority because if you look around us, guys, we need some truth. That's why I'm so excited about Bible classes starting back in a few weeks. Hope you'll be a part of that. So let me, let me just take a little time out here for you to reflect and for me to reflect. When, when, when you look at this list of actions toward the bride, are those your actions? Or Jesus gave the example. You say, are you giving yourself up? Are you making, is this, is this a better church because you're a part of her? Are you helping wash each other in the Word? Are you feeding and caring for her? You see, guys, that's the model, okay? But here's the American model. It's called consumerism. Here's what he does is, I go to church for what it does for me, okay? If the preaching's good and the worship's great and it's my style and Children's ministry's good, and youth ministry's on fire, and oh, then I'll go. But the moment one of those things is not right, it's about me, it's about what you do for me. Survey of Americans says the number one reason people go to church is for it to meet the needs of their family. Now, I don't know that's all bad, but it's bad primarily. Because this is an unconditional love that loves this way. I steal a great quote from history from John F. Kennedy. The biblical view is ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. And that's why I love to see so many people be so proactive in loving this church. That's why I think so many of us were so touched by Trey, Trey Hayes' response last week. Where he goes, you know, I've not been who I should be. And his response this week of starting lots of things, even a date set for men's ministry to kick off. Because I want to tell you just up front here, especially after COVID, what we're in need of are some proactive people who people who don't, we're, we're thrilled that you're coming back, but we don't need you just to come back. We need you to act. We need you to start a life group. We need you to, to do what church does is to feed and care for each other. So that's number two. Number three is by loving the church, we are loving ourselves. Now, this is pretty interesting. Paul assumes in verse 28 that we love our bodies and that we love ourselves. And I think we'd all admit that's normally true. I mean, it's very natural 
to love ourselves. It's not even wrong. Now, there are some extreme cases where people really don't. But Paul says the natural thing is to love yourself. And so what he's saying here is if you really love yourself, you are the bride of Christ. When you love the bride of Christ, you're blessing yourself. Because sometimes we, we, divorce, we, talk about, we talk about church as if I'm not part of it. Well, the church ought to be doing this, and why didn't the elders do this, and why didn't buddy? And... Because it's us. It's us. We are the bride of Christ. If I can be just really honest for a few minutes, and please, please don't turn me off. Listen to me. Because I think this is from God's Word. I'm very afraid the bride of Christ is being torn apart instead of built up. I've never seen people at so much odds with each other and so much, so many arguments. And, and guys, I've, I've tried to listen closely. I'm trying to improve what I do. But here's what I really believe. The political world is impacting the church more than we're impacting it. The source of most of our conflict comes out of these walls. And we're learning, unfortunately, from the way people are acting politically to treat each other the same way. I, I think we all would agree, wherever you are politically, we are on the verge of destroying our nation. And there's lots of reasons we can give for that. But what I'm afraid is, if we're not careful, and we take that into this, we're on the verge of destroying the church. In the political world, what do we learn right now? Is you are constantly critical. You assume the worst of everybody. There's no room for forgiveness. What we do is we draw lines. And we just, you know, it's, it's unpopular to try to come together. Now, I know a lot of that's based on convictions. I'm not saying you don't have convictions. But I'm saying my convictions are not an excuse to treat you wrong. Out there. But even more important, in this assembly, we are to love each other. Because when we do that, my friends, we're building ourselves up. We're giving hope to our children, our grandchildren. If we allow the, the, the um, climate of our culture to determine these things, we're going to destroy what we should love as much as anything on this earth, which is the bride of Christ. The number four, by loving the church, we are loving others. Because when we are who we ought to be, Jesus put it real plainly, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. Jesus said, when the church gets it right, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's so different, it sticks out in a beautiful way. In fact, Ephesians says this, if you read the whole book. When the church is right, the angels in heaven are on their tiptoes, watching and applauding. And Paul talks about here this mystery, and I've always had a little hard time figuring that out. What is the mystery? Now, a mystery biblically is this. A mystery is something you would not know 
unless God revealed it. You just would never know it unless God revealed it. So what has God revealed that we would never know on our own? In Ephesians, it's that the Jews and the Gentiles can be one. No one could have dreamed that would be possible. No one would have sat back and said, hey, there's a day, man, where Jews and Gentiles would be getting together in this same church and loving each other, man, and breaking down these barrier walls. They couldn't imagine it. Only God could reveal it. And so, guys, here's the great thing for us, is when we can be this place where we don't build walls, we love each other. We love each other like they can't love each other out there. Like they wouldn't expect people to love each other. That's when people go, my goodness, I'm so sick of the turmoil and the ugliness and the bitterness of this world and the way people treat each other. There's a place where that's not true. And Jesus says that will draw all people to himself. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen? And what Paul believes is we can be that different. We can be so different that we compare to Christ's love for church. So let's, let's go back to where it all starts. Where does it, where, where's the beginning of this happening? The church submits to Christ. We don't like the word submit, but it's never going to work until we say, you know what? Jesus, you are the head of this household. And your word means more than anything else. Just like I said, what helped Stephanie and I survive and thrive were two things. We were both followers of Jesus, and we had a high view of Scripture. And what's going to help our church not just survive, but thrive, is that we follow Jesus more than culture, and we have a high view of Scripture. And that's where we get our truth. And my friends, listen to me. There's some things that we cannot compromise on. We can love people through. We can't compromise on the death, burial, and resurrection being the core of the gospel. We cannot compromise of who Jesus is, the Son of God. We cannot compromise that all life is valuable, including the unborn. We cannot compromise... That God set up marriage to be a man and a woman, we can't change the definition. And that Scripture has a high view of sexual ethic that it only believes in, it only belongs in a marriage. And we can't change that God said His church is the best place to work on race issues and to love each other because we got everything in common. We can't compromise on those things. Not to be true to this book. So let me share one more truth to you that's really quite offensive to a lot of people, I hope not to you, is that biblically, scripturally, it's impossible to love Jesus and not love his church. The Bible knows nothing of someone who says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. It's like, I mean, if, if Stephanie and I invited you over for dinner, and she cooks a nice dinner and puts you on the table, and all you do is rip it. The whole time, man, this doesn't taste good. Why did she do this? I wish she had done this. And you start openly being critical of my wife. I'm telling you, you're not staying in my home very long. 
That's just not the way it works. And when we believe and understand who we are, the bride of Christ, Jesus is not okay with those things, not us not being together. And the analogy we'll look at next week maybe makes it even plainer. We're the body of Christ. We are the body. He's the head. Listen to me. You decapitate the head from the body, and they're both dead. It's impossible to love Jesus and not His church. And we saw this a few weeks ago in 1 John, where John said to us, the test of your love for God is how you love His people. So some of us may need to repent of our attitude actually toward the church. And I want to tell you and I want to tell me what I wish someone had told me when I married my bride. The bad news is that this is really hard work. And the question for you and I this morning is, are we willing to do the hard work? Are we willing to have the difficult conversations? Are we willing to love each other even when there's some issues we disagree on? Are we willing to bear with each other? Are we willing to, 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 to it's what I'm finding out, guys. Everybody assumes the worst of each other. I've got quite tickled at everybody who thinks they know where I stand politically. They don't. And normally they guess wrong. And it's none of your business. But listen to me. We've got to assume the best of each other. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. And that's hard work, guys. It's really hard work. The question is, do we just walk away from it? You're not going to find a church where everybody's eye to eye on everything. So, so good luck on your search. No, so that's, that's the bad news. Let's make sure we get the good news. The good news is that it's worth it. That's what I found out in my marriage. It's worth it. That's why the first century was so incredible and the angels clapped and the world noticed because when people come together like that, it's not normal. And everybody was so excited. That's why I look with jealousy from the 1972 the founders of this church as more and more of them are passing away. Bill Page is the last remaining founder in this church. But I'm telling you what I've known about those people the Pages and the Weldons and the Royals and all those people, is men cross me. I mean, man, they had a bond that I'm jealous of. I mean, they did sell their possessions for the church. They did bear through some really rough times. The history of this church is not just one upward climb. They did stick with each other and loved each other. And I look at them, I go, I want to be a part of something like that. And that's the good news about today. In contrast to the darkness and division we find in our world, we can be the place where people can be truly loved. Where, where, where we, can, we, can, we can build something that's worth it. And here's what I'm asking you, whether you're here in person or you're online, please, please listen to me today. I hadn't communicated well. Are you willing to do the hard work? Are we willing to love each other as Christ loved the church? If we are, it could be absolutely, unbelievably incredible. And I know we can. I know we can. Because Jesus himself has modeled it for us. In fact, what you call a marriage is a covenant. A covenant is more than a promise. It's more than even a contract. A contract is void when one person breaks it. A covenant is still in place even if it's broken. 
And that's why we take marriage so incredibly serious, and we should. And that's why when someone gets married, we, we, we say, please don't just run down the justice of peace and get through this. Not that you can do that anymore. We want you to say some sacred vows that have been said for hundreds of years. And guys, right now as we enter communion, this communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, is centered around the covenant made by His love. You have a covenant love. And as we take of communion, we are reminded of the covenant that Jesus made to us even when we were unaware and sinners. That Jesus made vows to us that He'll never break. In fact, I want you to listen closely to these ancient vows. And I want you to listen closely for Jesus' answer. Do you, Jesus, take Landmark to be your wedded wife? Promising before God with your friends as witnesses that you'll be a faithful, loving, and devoted husband forsaking all others and keeping yourself for her and her alone. If you listen closely during communion, you are going to hear him say, I do. And then if you'll keep listening, he's going to say this. I, Jesus, take the landmark to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, even death will not part us. That's what you need to hear these next few moments. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this communion table where we are reminded of the covenant that you have made with us, that covenant that was made through the shedding of blood. And so, Father, today, God, may we just take a few moments right now to remember what Jesus has done for us, even when we didn't deserve it. So that, Father, we can respond in kind to a Savior that is truly full of amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What a beautiful time of worship. I love that new song we sang right at the beginning before my message. Like a bride waiting for her groom. That's what we are. Waiting for Jesus to come back. But I also say in another sense, it's like a groom waiting for a bride. If you perform wedding ceremonies, you know, the groom always gives the vows first. And then the bride. And we have heard Jesus, and we've experienced it through the covenant of his blood, make his vows to us. So right now, in the next few moments, will be our opportunity to commit ourselves to him. To make this covenant. You go and Zane bring the basket over here. You got response cards in front of you. Today I'd make a challenge. If, if today you know your love for Christ's bride has waned. And you probably got lots of reasons for that. I'm not saying you don't. But you're ready to recommit yourself. For us to love each other the way Christ loves us. Please write that on a card. And we'll pray about it here. We won't. These prayers will not be repeated online. But 
those of you that are online have a number there that you can certainly text us, and we will pray for you also individually. But we will pray out loud about these in just a moment. And what an opportunity for us to say what we just said in song, you're all to us. We can't believe you invited us to be your marriage partner. We live in great, great honor. And so what I'd like us to do before we sing and before we have this opportunity to respond, I'd like us to speak our vows to Jesus. And again, we're going to take these ancient vows and we're going to say them out loud together as if we were standing on stage here with our groom, Jesus. So would you stand? And I want to challenge you. I know it's sort of hard through these masks to... Um, Let's try to speak out loud. And again, you're not saying these to me. You're saying this to Jesus. Great reason to be excited. So let's just follow along. Say it out loud with me. First of all, I'm going to ask you the I do question. Do you, Landmark, take Jesus to be your lawful wedded husband, promising before God as your, God your friends as witnesses, that you, Landmark, will be a faithful, loving, and devoted wife, forsaking all others and keeping yourself for him alone. What do you say to that? I do. And then repeat after me these beautiful words. Jesus is waiting to hear his bride. We landmark, take thee Jesus to be our wedded husband. Better for worse. For richer, for poor, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish, even death will not part us. That's why this is so much better than any other marriage. And so today, if you need to recommit yourself, if you need us to pray for you before you leave here, please don't hesitate. Fill that card out. Come put it in this basket. We'll spend some prayer time to close out this service. Let's all sing together.